We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit mikeknopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Okay, Hans Meach. A Devar Torah with visual aids today. So in uh, Leviticus chapter 23, when the Torah, in one of the few places that the Torah uh, talks about Sukkot, uh, 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 really the only place, uh, I believe, where the Torah talks about this particular feature of Sukkot, which we now call Lulav and Etrog, or Arba Minim, it says, hadar. Uh, so you should take on the first day uh, the product of Hadar trees, or the product of a beautiful tree, Kapot Marim, so a branch of a palm, Va'anaf Eitz Avot, boughs of leafy trees, which we, uh, the, the rabbinic tradition, uh, if you accept its authority, interprets as, uh, as myrtle branches, and, uh, and, uh, um, Ve'arvei Nachal, uh, and, uh, willow branches. You should rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. There is a famous midrash about the these arbaminim, these four species of plants, uh, that, uh, that that talks about the differences between them. It notes that a, an etrog has both smell and taste, uh, and that the lulav has a taste but no smell, right? So, the, I mean, the lulav itself doesn't have a taste, but it grows dates on it, so the, uh, so the dates have a taste, but it doesn't have a smell. Uh, the uh, myrtle branches have a smell, but no taste, and the willow branches have no smell, neither smell nor taste. And the Midrash goes on to say that, uh, that the diff- these different uh, species with those different characteristics represent different types of Jews or different types of people. The etrog, because it has both smell and taste, is compared to the kind of Jew who has both uh, learning and good deeds, who both studies Torah and uh, performs mitzvot. The lulav, which has uh, taste but no smell, um, is someone who has learning but uh, doesn't perform mitzvot, doesn't do good deeds. The, uh, the myrtle, which has uh, smell but no taste uh, is somebody who uh, doesn't have any learning but does do good deeds and the aravot which have neither smell nor taste are, are somebody who has neither learning nor good deeds and, uh, and so that's the midrash now it's a, it's a perfectly beautiful midrash and it's uh, probably well known to many of us in here uh, but it is on a deeper analysis perplexing my father-in-law, Rabbi Neil Rose, pointed out to me once that um, midrashim only work if you can plug them back into the text to help you understand the text better. Okay, so, for example, the, one of the most famous midrashim is that of uh, Abraham smashing his father's idols. Right? We've all probably heard that midrash. Some people are surprised that it's a midrash. Uh, it's not in the Torah itself, uh, but it's not. It's not in the Torah itself. It's in the midrash. But that midrash uh, is uh, uh, 
if you plug it back into the text, it helps you understand the text better. Okay, the text it's trying to understand is um, who is this Abraham uh, that uh, God calls to leave Orkastim and to uh, travel to the promised land, and why does God call him, and why does he go? Okay, and so the Midrash says Abraham came upon this idea that uh, that there was only one God and that idol worship was foolish, and etc. etc. Right, so it helps you understand the text better. But how does this midrash of uh, these uh, different uh, qualities of the four species, uh, representing different types of Jews, representing diversity, how does it help us understand the text better? Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on on this, but uh, just I want to offer one. Um, so if you look back at the te- if we were to look back at the text. The, what we would need to understand how it's supposed to help us understand the text better is the function of the Lulav and Etrog is You should rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. So on some level, that Midrash has to help us understand how it is that the Lulav and Etrog or the Arba Minim help us rejoice before God. How is it that holding these uh, uh, diverse species together helps us rejoice before God? For that, I think we have to uh, consider the meaning of the word rejoicing, or simchar, joy. There is uh, a, a modern movement called positive psychology uh, that uh, was started uh, by a, uh, a guy named, I think, Martin Seligman out of University of Pennsylvania, um, I think probably two decades ago now. Uh, and, uh, and, and one of the premises of positive psychology is that uh, the, um, uh, the ultimate goal of, of human life is flourishing. You've probably heard me mention that uh, before, uh, not, not necessarily in, in the same kind of context, but the goal of human life is flourishing. And among many of the students of positive psychology, uh, joy or happiness is uh, signifies flourishing. That's how you know you're flourishing, is if you are happy. Okay? Happiness is defined not as, usually defined, not as uh, physical pleasure, right? Not as, like, the things that uh, that give you, that, that like, I, you know, for a moment, pie makes me happy, but in the long term, pie doesn't make me happy because then I can't run and I have heart disease and all sorts of things, right? So no argument. Pie is good all the time. Pie, pie is good all the time until it's not, right? Until until you know you it, you know, puts you in the hospital, uh, right? So that's not flourishing. That's pleasure. Uh, so it would be flourishing would be more happiness would be more uh, of the the difficult uh, nexus between between pleasure and meaning. Right? So in other words, fulfillment, right? Not enjoyment, but fulfillment, right? Uh, how do I become the most fulfilled human being I possibly can be, which is a different answer perhaps for each and every one of us. But that ultimately is the objective according to positive psychology of, of, uh, of, of, hu- of each of our existence is that we should flourish, which means we should be fulfilled in our, we should feel fulfilled in our lives. Every person has uh, a right to feel fulfilled and therefore responsibility also to uh, have themselves be fulfilled in their lives. So if you were to understand uh, in this passage in Leviticus as fulfillment rather than pleasure, okay? Just hold that, can take that as a for sake of argument for right now. We can have a conversation about it in the sukkah. But let's take it not as you will be pleasure, you will have pleasure before the Lord your God for seven days, but you shall be fulfilled. 
You shall flourish. You shall be fulfilled for seven days. Then I think we can begin to understand how that Midrash reads back into the verse as we are most fulfilled when we hold together all of human diversity. So I was, uh, some of you know that I've been participating in this uh, program called Leadership Metro Richmond. Uh, We had our first full day seminar uh, on Wednesday, which I don't recommend, you know, if you're ever considering doing it and looking at the calendar, um, I don't recommend uh, having a baby, having Yantif, then having a full day seminar on Arab Yantif, and then having Yantif, like it was very stressful. It was not the definition of flourishing, not the definition of fulfillment. Um, But so if you ever consider doing the program, look at the calendar a little bit more closely and be more honest with yourself about it, uh, what you can do and what you can't do. But anyway, I was there. And it was a whole day dedicated to education, the challenges and opportunities of uh, of, uh, uh, K-12 education in in the Richmond region. And we had uh, one presenter from uh, uh, VCU named uh, Genevieve Siegel. She has a hyphenated last name, her other part of her last name I can't remember. Um, But she talked about the challenges of integration in Richmond public schools and how um, now we are 60 years plus after Brown versus Board of Education, and Richmond Public Schools are still basically not integrated. Uh, and she uh, made a very compelling case about how we usually talk about integration, and when uh, integration was discussed on this, you know, Brown versus Board in the Civil Rights era, it was rightly considered as a, as a moral issue. Right, that uh, separate is inherently unequal, and if we want to, uh, uh, as a moral directive uh, of society, uh, raise our children equally and treat uh, black children and white children equally and give them equal opportunities, then we should have integrated schools. So she's not disputing that. That's true, and I think that there's a good. Uh, the thought with this debate is about there's a compelling uh, case to be made. I think from the tradition uh, for that uh, sim- for that similar moral principle that separate is inherently unequal. But she also said that there is a pragmatic argument to be made for integration, which I thought was incredibly fascinating. She brought great research to show how students at integrated schools do better on a whole range of metrics than students, who, black and white students, who come from schools that are not integrated, that are uh, largely all white or largely all black. Homogenous. Homogenous, racially, culturally, uh, um, demographically, socioeconomically homogenous. And the reason is because diversity makes each of us as individuals stronger. We become stronger as human beings. We become smarter as human beings. We become better able to navigate our world, to understand our world, to make sense of our world, to flourish in the world words of positive psychology in diverse contexts. It's especially true in a diverse society like ours, where if the product of education is to uh, put you back out into the society in which you live, if you don't come from a diverse educational background, entering into a diverse world becomes much more challenging. But it's even true if you don't enter into a diverse world, uh, having a background of diversity, learning from and benefiting from diversity, diverse perspectives, diverse backgrounds, uh, diverse opinions, uh, enables you to better navigate uh, the world that you live in, makes you a stronger, more fulfilled person. Not for nothing does the Mishnah say, Ezehu chacham halomed mikol adam. 
who is a wise person? The one who learns from every kind of person, from every person. And so if we were to hold that idea, that diversity, holding diversity together, holding different types of people together, binding them together, being among them, including ourselves in them, uh, 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 binding them together, uh, is what makes us stronger, is what makes us more fulfilled, is what makes us better able to flourish, then I think it becomes uh, possible to put that Midrash back into this text. Only by holding the four species together. Only by saying all of these different kinds of people, when put together, make a unified whole that is of benefit to each of us as individuals and each of us as a community. Only then is rejoicing truly possible? Only by including diversity, only by including all types of people, are we able as individuals and as a community to be fulfilled, and are we able as individuals and as a community to flourish. So as we take these four species together on Sukkot, as we hold this uh, 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 diversity uh, from God in our hands, let us recommit ourselves to embracing and encountering uh, diversity, diverse backgrounds, diverse opinions, diverse perspectives uh, in our lives, and by ensuring that we as a community and we as a society uh, enable everybody to hold and encounter that diversity together as well.